Greetings on this good day that the Lord has made. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is the Bread of Life. Our program is presented by the International Disciple Making Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism. I encourage you to learn more about the amazing work that we're doing all around the world. You can do so by going to traincpe.org. And to learn more about our fellowship in Boise, Idaho, go to breadoflifeboise.org. It's from that fellowship that we share with you God's Word. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, Paul declares what has been the consistent message of his life and preaching. There he says, it is the gospel. That is a short word for a truth we will not fully understand until we get to glory. But the gospel is a message that tells of our sin and separation from God. It tells of God's righteous judgment against us in our sins. And then it speaks of God coming in human flesh, Jesus, to live a righteous life we could not live and die the eternal death that we deserve. It speaks of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, demonstrating that his offering in our place has triumphed over the penalty of our sins. And the gospel calls us to believe in it, to confess our need of such a Savior and claim our hope in his work alone. Paul says, that is what I preached. It is the consistent message of my life. And we must ask ourselves, is it the consistent message of our own? You stand in this and you are saved by this. And the word saved there in the Greek, it should read, you are being saved. What that means is this, that this wonderful gospel truth and the salvation that it brings to the individual is not something that simply gets you a passageway into heaven. It's not simply a fire insurance that you buy to bypass the gates of hell. It means that this gospel, when it is truly believed and fully and continually brought into our life and touched upon, becomes an ever-breathing reality in our life where we constantly, for example, feel the darkness of sin that once separated us from God. And we no longer want to have the shadows of that sin cast over our lives. We don't want it to obscure or shadow the bright, growing, developing fellowship that we can enjoy with God. The person who is being saved by this gospel understands that this gospel is not simply meant to get them out of hell, but it's meant to lead them on to ever-ascending victory in Jesus Christ. It's to lead them in triumph over temptation. It's to bring comfort to them in the midst of trials and grant them perseverance through them and a glowing witness after them. It is a gospel that finds in the individual sinner an idea that God has found my sin, washes my sin, and is making me into a saint where He's shaping me into the holiness of Jesus Christ Himself. It works on us by the power of the Holy Spirit and lifts us up into higher planes of living. In the gospel, we find forgiveness every day for others and for ourselves. In the gospel, we find a principle of love being shaped in us in which we love God, in which we love other Christians as brothers in Christ uniquely and wonderfully, in which we love those who are without Christ as ones for whom Christ died. In a world that so dearly needs a settling point, we provide it, the cross of Jesus Christ and His resurrection In the gospel, we find our way through to the Lord Jesus, and he becomes all the world to us. That's what it means to be saved. That's the activity of being saved. It's the activity of Christ becoming more and more to us. We stumble and we falter and we fail, but we look to the cross and to our risen Savior, 
We reach out to him as he reaches down to us to lift us up. He teaches us daily. He instructs us. He walks beside us to guide us. He lives in us to empower us. We take him for all that we need. And though we're weak, he's strong. That's the activity of being saved. This is our salvation from day to day. Daily, we are being saved by the power of God from the powers of this world. And this is, folks, consistency. A.W. Tozer warns against those individuals who believe in the gospel, but it's vain believing. It's never transferred into the experience of these truths in their lives. These people believe the gospel, but he says they, quote, they believe it, but not strong enough to emphasize it. And the result has been that they have not entered into it and lived through it. It is not what I hold as a creed that matters so much, although if my creed is wrong, my experience is bound to be wrong too. It is that part of my creed that I have lived through experientially. It is not that which I have believed strongly enough to write down into a book of creeds, but that which I have believed strongly enough to enter into it and experience. Everything I hold as true should be mine in living, vibrant experience. Really, truthfully, Toza writes, what really is mine, if not that which I've experienced. Being saved, the experience of God's salvation, always from day to day, this is consistency. Here are questions for you. Where has your profession of Christ taken you? What has it brought to you? Is it an event that has come and gone? Or is it a growing, knowing, a growing, expanding, and claiming of your life and your being and your experience into the life of Jesus Christ? What is it for you? Are you being saved unless you believed in vain? Some years ago, I was listening to a PBS radio station and they had an interview of a novelist and the novelist was describing the various characters in his book. One of the characters was a preacher and this is how he described the preacher. He was an individual who believed in God when he was preaching but didn't when he wasn't. And I thought, this novelist has good insight. He's put his finger on something of a tremendous insight in the nature of the faith of many individuals and many persons of faith. He's put the nail on the head here. The question has to be asked, how is it that a preacher can speak with such passion in a pulpit so that he can stir up his congregation with all kinds of emotions to the core, and yet when he walks away from that sermon and that congregation, he can lustily move into a maze of moral compromise? How can it happen? And it happens. Pay attention, it happens. The man preaches with passion and a matter-of-fact certainty and then lives secretly as though no God saw him at all. He appears to believe in God when he's preaching, but he doesn't when he isn't. So the question is, what is at the root of that inconsistency? I think it's kind of like this. Look at the passion and the emotion of his preaching. Or if the bent of his church is that it doesn't go in for a lot of emoting, Maybe it's a church that likes intellectual relish, staunch doctrinal force and authoritative force in their preaching. Take a note to the way in which he gives himself to the intellectual relish or in which he gives himself to that kind of doctrinal moral force in his preaching. And understand this. Not all passion, not all relish, not all force of argument is good. Not all force of argument and even conviction is good. There is a counterfeit fire that is not of the Holy Spirit. It's not born of the power of the gospel being experienced. It is the fire of human motion 
and imagination and pride and human intellect and the powers of human persuasion being poured over this gospel. But it's not the gospel being poured over the life. And there's a difference. And as a result, there is amazing energy to be found in stating truth even when you don't really surrender and live by it yourself. Find it. State things that are true and you'll find your adrenaline pumping. You'll find your face flushing. The truth is captivating even if you don't live by it. And so when you come among one another and you declare it to yourselves, you can find for a moment an impulse of energy and it can just be the passions of your own flesh. It can just be the exaltation of self-actualization being felt in the presence of the declaration or the hearing of truth. The fire of the flesh is stirred, and as it burns, you can feel warmed, you can feel heartened, you can even feel softened before God. You can even feel led to confess sin and to take on postures of worship. You can even cut yourself, in a sense, like the prophets of Baal, or the priest of Baal, cut themselves before Baal's altar, full of impassioned worship. But in these moments, like that, a preacher can really believe in the God he's preaching about. But if he's merely living in the experience of a stirred-up flesh instead of living in the experience of the Holy Christ living out his life from within him, then when he walks away from that pulpit and away from that moment of preaching, the passion of his flesh worship will settle down within him. In that moment, his belief and convictions on the truth will quietly settle down to a low simmer in him, but his flesh won't die down. It will apply itself and fix itself to other objects and other interests just as lustily, just as passionately, and he will live in that moment for a thing as if God wasn't even there. It's the flesh. Now listen, we know if we read the magazines and we follow the trends, we know it's possible to happen to the man in the pulpit, but it's just as possible for it to happen to all of us not just preachers. Can't it just be said of others? Don't you know it can be said this way? They believe in God when they're praising Him in the church, but they don't when they aren't. She believes in God when she's witnessing, but she doesn't when she isn't. He believes in God when he's at the Bible study, but he doesn't when he's at his work. They talk the talk is what we're saying, but they don't walk the walk. What does the gospel teach us about consistency then? It calls for us to live an ongoing experience of the truth of the gospel ongoing experience of the living power of the gospel. Colossians chapter 6, 2, verse 6. We've said it over and over again. As you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in Him. You received Him in an absolute disavowal of your own ability to save yourself, an absolute powerless and before God's just condemnation, and you said, Jesus, come and save me through your death, burial, and resurrection. And that's how you live the Christian life every day. Jesus Christ, live through me the power of your death, burial, and resurrection. There's nothing in my hands I bring. Only to your cross I cling. It's living in that saving power. So we'll always need a Savior for our sins, and we'll always need to rest in His power and not our own, and this will bring about consistency. I make known to you, brothers, the gospel which I preach to you, and which also you have received, and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to this word which is preached, unless you believe in vain. Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for simple words that anchor our hearts to great, mysterious, and deep truths that carry us through the storms of life and will bring us safely into a haven of rest, a safe port 
of peace. We thank you, dear Jesus, that you come for us and you've died for us and you've risen and you're coming again. And when you return, we want you to find our lanterns lit and burning bright. We want to have you find us with our eyes fixed upon the heavens waiting for you with anticipation. We want you to find us having been faithful stewards, consistent, consistently caring and handling by your power the grace that you have bestowed upon us. Oh God, we pray for this in our lives. Consistent faith, consistent love, consistent patience, consistent progress and holiness, a consistent shining forth of the light of this gospel, knowing it, claiming it, declaring it, living in it, never budging from it. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. And Lord Jesus, let our children see this. Through all of our failures, through all of our faults, may they see us consistently as well, repenting of ourselves and our sins, being willing to apologize and acknowledge what we have done wrong, declare what is right in you alone, loving you for it before them. Consistency, O oh God. We plead for it by your grace and your power. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to direct you now to a different website at the end of our broadcast than I usually do. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 commands that the Christian test themselves to see if they're in the faith. In answer to this command, and with the desire to bring Christians into a sound and true assurance of saving faith, we've developed a website and a book for this purpose. Go to savingevangelicals.com and take the test and order the book by the same name, Saving Evangelicals. I can't think of a more important book for our day. Again, thanks for listening to The Bread of Life. Until the next time, may God bless you.